Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Welcome to Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne. Today we feature French cheese consultant Yvonne Lachère. Yvonne has over 20 years of incredibly varied experience in the dairy industry, from the big business of cultures to running his own micro-dairy. Yvonne has been visiting Australia since 2013, running professional cheese technology workshops, and is largely responsible for transforming and developing the knowledge of farmhouse and artisan cheese production. Earlier this year, on a recent trip to Australia, Carmen interviewed Ivan. Here they are in conversation. Today we welcome Ivan Lacher, cheese trainer extraordinaire known throughout the world for transforming cheesemakers' knowledge and technique. Hi Ivan, welcome to Herds and Curds. Thank you. How long have you been training cheesemakers? It's going to be 20 years. 20 years? From 1999, I left uh, dairy school. And since then, I've been through diverse occupation, diverse um, employment. I've been teaching and consulting with, uh, with cheesemakers, so it's going to be 20 years. Wow. So you, in France, you actually have great access to dairy training, don't you? We have uh, this uh, fantastic opportunity in France to have access to dairy school, technical uh, supports, institute, private or public that will support the whole um, economics, the whole network of um, artisan cheesemakers in France. And is it, so the emphasis is on artisan cheesemakers? There is um, a, a big push for artisan cheesemakers, farmstead and artisan cheesemakers, but as well as big industries that are uh, big employers as well. And so are, are students attending, students that want to be employed in industrial cheese production and students that want to be employed in artisan or farmhouse cheese productions, are they attending the same dairy schools? Or yes. It's not dedicated for different areas? No, it's the same, the same dairy schools, but you have different topics and different options that you can select. What we see is most of the time the cheesemakers, well, the students that enter, they already know kind of uh, what, what they want to do. So if they want to uh, continue their parents' uh, farmstead cheesemaking operation, they will go into the school to learn cheesemaking, to have the bagage, to have the diplomas, mm-hmm. and they, co- they go back to their uh, parents' farm and they, they continue the, the activity. And the other ones that don't have already a project will be swallowed directly by the big industries because oh. there is a massive shortage of trained uh, cheesemakers worldwide and, and particularly in France. Oh, also in France, because we know we have this um, issue in Australia, but I didn't realise that was also happening in France. That's a worldwide shortage, okay. unfortunately. And for you, when you chose to go to dairy school, did you have a family background in dairying? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So you grew up in an urban area? or? Yeah in a tiny village but uh, none of my parents were uh, farmers my grandfather was producing milk for uh, uh, camembert production in Normandy but a very very small herd small uh, kind of a not kind of sustainable farm anymore it was 15 cows and did, did you go there as a child yeah so you have these and memories of this 15 cow dairy yep and falling we'll get... into the cold milk and uh, playing with my brother <laughs> in, in 
in the cow poop. So it was oh, a lot of fun. That's lots of fun. I've got those memories too, actually. <laughs> My sister's pushing me down from the hay bales onto the ground yeah. and being nasty. But um, so what made you go into dairying? Or wanting, what made you want to go to dairy school? I don't know yet if it's good luck or bad luck, but uh, this was the, um, <coughs> the, the local school that could permit me to continue my science degree and um, apply it into food technology. Mm-hmm. And cheese is uh, a fantastic topic that uh, combines mechanics, physics, chemistry, biology, enzymology, everything can be found into cheese technology. So you had a strong interest in science. Mm-hmm. And did you study science before going Correct. to... Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so actually you had this, you had a great background to then go into dairy technology. This, yeah, this, uh, you, you can enter those dairy school at various um, age. Mm-hmm. So what I did first was um, a, a degree in science, and then after I joined the dairy school at a, a higher, higher level. Okay. And then leaving dairy school, what was your professional trajectory prior to starting a consulting business? I've been uh, out of the school. I've been employed by a big starter culture company to provide technical support for the sales team um, in uh, Northern Asia. So I was um, uh, recommending or um, uh, helping the sales team to select the right type of satellite to develop the the new product, the R&D part of it um, on site. So to help the customers to develop their own cheese with the the satellite. And there is a big dairy production in Asia? No, but was more dedicated on fresh product like fermented milk and probiotics, and uh, was just the beginning of the artisan cheese industry. Okay, so there. Twenty years ago. Oh, in Asia. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, for a while you actually had also a, a farmhouse cheese production, didn't you? Correct. And for five years. For five years, yeah. and actually, you also had a small dairy like your grandfather. Mm-hmm. Fifteen cows and. Uh, processing 100% of the milk that we produce. That's not much, but in uh, with the uh, direct cell uh, orientation. So most of the production, 90 plus percent of the product, were sold direct on farmer's market. Wow. And so how many farmer's market? Was that a we're week or a four, month? We're doing four farmer's market a week. Okay. Thursday, Friday, <coughs> sorry, and two farmer's market on Saturday morning. Okay, that's... Well, it's great to sell your product directly to the consumer, isn't it? Uh, we always hear uh, worldwide that it's much easier in France because of the subsidies, because of whatever the, whatever the system. Uh, it's not, not really true. The subsidies, the, 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 the CAP system is more... Uh, it's not really helping the development of arts and cheesemakers. What really helps is the support of the customers that go to the farmer's market and mm. shop on the farmer's market. And it's not only for tourism and visit, mm. because it's sunny, because it's Sunday, because we have nothing else to do. We go to the farmer's market and we do not shop. The customers in France, they really go there and buy their food it's from their, the farmer's market. So it's that, true, isn't it? That that's, makes a, a, that's a real economics. Mm. And I think the other advantage of um, in France or in Europe is that you often you don't have to actually wrap your product in Australia, for example, we spend a lot of time and a lot of wages on wrapping individual cheeses, and it's very time-consuming. Might be, there might be days in the week where someone's employed to wrap or package our cheese, and you don't have that 
Uh, if it's a direct sell, you don't have to do the final wrapping. Mm. If to be, if the cheese is to be sold in a, a, a undirect, like a distributor or supermarket or whatever, in this case it has to be wrapped individually. But if it's a direct uh, sell, you don't have to. Kajagarujan, Anderman. This is Stephen Pigram from up Broomway, Yarrow Country, and it's great to be down in Melbourne. And you listen to 3CR Community Radio. Been here for a long time. And your model, so you had 15 cows, they were Jersey cows? Correct. Um, milking twice a day? Uh, twice a day, first couple of years, then once a day uh, at the end. And was that because, why, why did you choose to milk once a day? Uh, because this, would, this permitted us to save a lot of time, um, energy, cleaning products, water and so on, mm-hmm. without compromising the quantity uh, of milk produced. We've been losing something like 15% of milk mm-hmm. in terms of volume. But um, this was very much compensated by the, the time saved that we could spend more on books, finance, distribution, mm-hmm. selling, paperwork, admins. So that's... That, choice. And does the once a day milking change the solid content of the milk? Yes, it increases a little bit. Somatic cells increase a little bit as well. Ah. Uh, but uh, by milking just once a day instead of twice, you don't lose 50% of the milk. Mm. So we had a drop of 15%, but not much more. And you gained a little bit in yield. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm. And so part of your um, farm production actually involved... Um, using your farm as a model, as a training ground. Mm-hmm. So do you want yes, to talk a little bit about that? Some, um, we organised some um, classes on the farm to be able to see from pasture to plate the, the, the system that, uh, that works. It could, it's an economical system that, that is viable. 15 cows, dark cells. Um, it requires a lot of um, investment, a lot of... Um, uh, um, engagement in terms of energy work and so on but financially it's viable so we were looking for uh, sharing this kind of model to cheesemakers worldwide to show them that if you have um, it's not easy but if you control the technology you can make you can make it work mm, because it's true that our agricultural systems are going in a much more industrialized um Nature that farms are getting bigger, bigger machinery, bigger, bigger debts. Um, bigger debts, bigger problems, uh, less and less uh, social contact with less employees. Um, well, less relationship with uh, with the thousand cows that you have in the mm. in the fields. So for me, small is beautiful. You're listening to Three C R Radio. So you created this successful, this small successful farming model where you could also invite people to come and learn about how this model could work, but also train people that wanted to be farmhouse cheesemakers on their existing farms or start a cheese production. Yep. Yep. And so that's one aspect where you um, train people. You also travel around the world to England, to, to here, to Australia. You're here with us now for a month. And to America. Where mm-hmm. else do you travel? Well, I think the only place that I've even been yet <laughs> is Antarctica because oh. there is not much milk being mm, produced over what there. What animal could we milk yeah, there? I don't know. If, <laughs> if you find one, tell me. 
Penguins. Alison's suggesting penguins. <laughs> Very we need, expensive. We need to find some volunteers to meet them. <laughs> I'm not sure we'll get something out of it. But uh, yeah, I've been working in many, many different countries, um, consulting or teaching sometime. So you do workshops. So at the moment you're here in Melbourne. Um, yesterday you did a training on lactic fermentation and today and tomorrow you're training um, on the subject of semi-hard cheeses. Yes. And then you also do consulting directly with cheesemakers. With cheesemakers, visiting them to develop um, new product, new recipe, to try to understand problems that they may have, to train the staff to reorganize the production, so different uh, different topics that can be worked with the cheesemaker. Okay, so it's just on the design of their cheese room, mm -hmm. on design of, of, or the development of new products? Yep. Okay. And how did you, what made did you realize that there was a need for this kind of education? Huh. Uh, well, I don't know. When the, when the cheesemakers calls you and say, well, I want to develop a new type of cheese, but we have no idea where to start. There is a need for that. There is a need for a training and, 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 and classes. Uh, so I think it's more word of mouth that I've mm -hmm. been spreading. And, so and the more we offer classes, the more cheesemakers realize that mm. the more they see and discover, the more we need to, uh, to enlarge our mm. knowledge. Well, you've been coming here for how long? Five years? Yes, I think the first time was in 2014, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit earlier. Okay, uh, and it, our class sizes have increased, haven't they, in that time? Uh, Are you seeing new faces all the time? Yeah, we see new faces all the time, but which is good. We see uh, people that come at every single workshop. We see some, so, some people that want to attend, even if they already did this workshop a few years ago. They come back and they learn new things, things that were not relevant for them at that time mm. become relevant now. Mm. So it's a, well, it's, it's a permanent learning process. It's not because you've been attending to a workshop for a couple of days that you will master this technology um, because it needs practice, it needs understanding and some, some problems that you don't think you are uh, well are uh, relevant for you at that moment will mm. maybe become relevant for you in That's two right. years time it's true that you learn something you need to apply it in your cheese room and see how your curd responds or yeah mm. and it's you know given historically we've had very little cheese education in australia then many of us are starting from zero in terms of our technological understanding of what's happening in our cheese make if everything's fine, it's okay, but as soon as we've got a problem, then actually we don't know how to problem solve. So um, we're, all of us are, are building all the time on our knowledge and you know, concepts that don't stick from the previous training all of a sudden are making sense in a, in a training two years later. And as you said, it's whether, you know, what's relevant to you at the time. Yeah, and it's, um, it must be a combination of theoretical approach as well as practical and experience because theory do not explain everything and practice do not explain everything as mm -hmm. well, so it must be a combination.
You're listening to Herds and Curds. The music that you've heard is a track called Fresh Cheese, produced especially for us by Kerry Gilmartin. And now let's head back into our conversation between Carmen and French cheese consultant Yvonne Lachère. So you do um, theoretical training, that's mostly what you've done in Australia, but in other parts of the world you actually do hands-on training, yes. don't you? So yes. in a cheese room? In a cheese room, in uh, either a school or, uh, or on, on farms or in uh, cheese making operations, we do, we do produce cheese as well. Okay, and one of the things you, that you do is actually you um, produce faults in cheeses, don't you? Sometimes, yes. The pedagogy of the errors is if you see the errors all together in the class, the, the mistake that can happen or the problems that can happen. It permits us to uh, talk about it, to explain the different cause and consequence and mm. how to problem solve. Mm. Um, the, for me, it's much more interesting and more pedagogic to do this way than to do the perfect recipe of the cheese to make it right, because if one day it doesn't go well in, in the cheese-making operation, the cheese-makers will be lost. Mm. So it's better to talk about the problems that we may have in together in front of mm. the cheese vat. And there's so many variables, isn't there? Yeah. In France, do you do the same kind of training that you do here? Do, mm-hmm. Is there yes. a need for that for small farmhouse cheese? Of course, yeah. There is? Yes. Okay. Um, and every year, ASCA supports you to come to Australia, but you do travel all over the world. I'm interested to know how we've evolved in the last five years. You've seen many other countries sort of reinvent their, cheese, their farmhouse cheese productions or their artisan cheese productions. And are we on that trajectory? We, we are on the same trajectory than England 15 years ago, that when they really the, started to develop the artisan cheese industry, pushed mainly by people from Nizia Dairy, from the SCA, from artisan cheesemakers that decided to create new and revive interesting traditional product. So we, uh, 10 years ago was the same thing in the US. Now from the last five, seven, 10 years, we see, we observe the same speed. I'm not saying that before that, the artisan cheese industry in Australia was inexistent. But it was much more complicated because was still uh, the number of artisan cheesemakers was still kind of very small. So it's difficult to be able to promote, uh, to convince the customer, to convince the food safety authority, to uh, find out uh, diversity of ingredients to permit to make diversity of cheese. So the more um, it's like you need to start turning the wheel. Then when the wheels turn, we start. We'll start to. We will have more, more cheesemakers that will uh, that will create more demands for new starter culture, for more diverse uh, objectives, and with more power to discuss with the with the food safety authorities to make uh, a change. So yeah, it's it it moves. It's definitely rolling. And would you talk a little bit about um, the, the UK or a little bit about America as well, how their cheese industries are going? Well, the art and cheese industry in the UK and the US is really, really dynamic. Really dynamic, and we see the same. But we cannot have an, uh, a, a dynamic industry if we don't have the support of the customers that are interested in trying new product, local product, high-quality product. Um, without the customers, we, well, it's pointless to develop an industry. And do you see, what, 
have you got any advice for Australian cheesemakers, or what do you see lacking in our industry? Many things, and not that many. The, the, the biggest hurdle uh, so far now, well, different hurdles, but is one, the lack of um, technical structure and schools that permit young kids to be trained as a cheesemaker to have a great job. They mm. will, there is no unemployment if you are a cheesemaker. So we we need more a training system. We need more support for the uh, for the authorities to create jobs and uh, and technical supports, um, R and D and institute that would permit to uh, develop the interest of the artisan cheese industry, to promote raw milk or not, but to make sure that everybody is working and proactive. Um, we need more diversity of um, ingredients to make uh, to make cheese. We need a lot of things, but it means also that there is a, a fantastic potential for the cheesemakers. Mm. Because that's the other thing you've brought to Australia or encouraged Australian cheesemakers is to diversify their um, the kind of cultures they use in their in their cheese making. This is um, one of the fundamental, fundamental ingredients um, in the cheese, apart of great quality milk. Uh, the starter culture will, um, will affect the flavor profile. So if everybody is using the same cultures, we'll end up with a, a very, very similar product at the end. Um, how can an artisan cheesemaker justify to produce a cheese that is two, three, four times more expensive than a big factory? Mm and cheese that has the same flavour profile. And, and is that exaggerated by the fact that we have to pasteurise our milk? It reduces the diversity of uh, bacteria that we have in the milk. So yes, for sure, it's not helping. Five, four, three, two, one. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Will you talk a little bit about raw milk production as sure. opposed to our ob- obligatory pasteurisation step in our cheese production? Mm-hmm. What do you think of pasteurised milk and pasteurised milk cheese? Uh, so the, 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 the eternal battle, uh, pasteurised milk versus raw milk, is not, it's not the way to go. We can make fantastic cheese with pasteurised milk. We mm-hmm. can make fantastic cheese with raw milk. We can make safe cheese with raw milk and unsafe cheese with pasteurised milk. So it, it just must be considered as two different processes that must be uh, considered on a different way. Um, a raw milk, it's not a milk that we forgot to pasteurize. Mm. It's, um, it, it must be the consequence of different farming practice, different system, different cow, different feeding regimes, different size of herds. Um, all of that that permit to create a milk dedicated for cheese production. It's not a conventional milk, free de- de- dedicated for the free market that we we do not pasteurize. It must not be the same milk. Mm. The drinking milk, as opposed to when you milk. have a herd of uh, thousand, twelve hundred, fourteen hundred cows. How can you be sure that uh, every single quarter of each cow will be healthy, will be well cleaned, will be well um, maintained and uh, permit to produce a very healthy and good quality milk? Mm. 
it's going to be much easier to do this with the smaller herd of 40, 50, 60 cows that mm. you produce, process uh, the, the entire volume of milk. When you have massive herds, well, the, the control of the, the, the every single quarter is not possible. Mm. And so pasteurization is a food safety step? Maybe. Maybe it works, maybe... Maybe it works, maybe not. It's one of the parameters that can help to increase the level of food safety. But I will never say that there is a direct relationship between pasteurization and food safety. And what about the relationship between certain cheese-making steps and food safety? Oh, we have other parameters that will, have, that will be as important as the pasteurization process in the control of food safety, like acidification profile, like the, the control of uh, moisture level, the salting period, the aging time, all those uh, hurdles will mm -hmm. permit to increase the food safety. Pasteurization is one of them. And from a regulatory sense, what do you think about the Australian context? Uh, in terms of allowing the raw milk uh, production, Raw milk and and other factors, if if you want to con contemplate those, I mean we're very risk averse. Uh, yeah, there is uh, a specific relationship uh, between customers and foods in here that uh, the people don't accept. That uh, they may have some issue with the food that they uh, ingest, but they have also to consider in this case that they should stop buying very low and cheap quality food because mm. the less money they put uh, in the in their food baskets, the lower the quality. There is mm. no other way around. How do you produce a chicken that will be sold at two? Uh, 2.5 Australian dollar a kilo. Mm. I don't know how you do that mm. without compromising or jeopardizing the, the quality of the product. Yes, and this ultimately will affect the food safety. Mm -mm. And if you, um, in a regulatory sense, compared to the rest of the world, um, are we the kind of the most confined in terms of our regulation of the dairy industry? But for many, many years it has been... Uh, kind of locked by the big uh, dairy industry. So for them, it was uh, much easier and safer to have strict regulation. Now that the customers are pushing because they want different product mm. than block uh, plastic cheese, mm. uh, they want diversity, they want history, they want um, interesting product that are connected to their neighborhood, their farmers, their uh, environment, um, they want a different product. So the things, the, 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 the relationship with the food is changing, which is good. Okay, Ivan, just before we wrap up, I want you to tell me what's the most common fault or common error in a, in a cheese room in your years of training people? That the cheesemakers believe that we can make cheese with the recipe and oh, follow the recipe kind of blind and um, not understanding really why we have different cheese at the end uh, of, of the process. But the milk is a living, uh, it's a living product, so it will evolve, it will change, we need to adjust um, the way we make cheese to the quality of the, the milk, the ingredients and um, the environment in which we are, in, where we are working. 
So it's a, it's a type of job that requires permanent adjustment day to day to the quality of the milk, to the environment, temperature and people, and also to the final product that may uh, evolve to match the wish of the customers. So every cheesemaking operation has its own aura, its own charism that, uh, that makes every cheesemaker interesting. Do you love visiting cheesemakers in yes. the cheese room? It's more the, the, the people that, uh, uh, that I love in this job, meeting the, the cheesemakers, meeting, meeting them. More than the technology, but a soft cheese in, uh, in France, in Switzerland, in the US or in Australia will will be made according to the same kind of technological mm. parameters but the the organization the people will be different and the social aspect of it is much more important. Are cheesemakers wacky? Of course. Are they an odd bunch? Is it an odd profession? Yeah. It attracts. It has to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to be weird to be a cheesemaker. To be a cheesemaker. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think goat, goat people are weirder than cow people? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Herds and Curds and the conversation between Carmen Bateson and Yvonne Lachere. Yvonne will be back in Australia in October, so you can find out more about his events through AXA, the Australian Specialist Cheesemakers Association. You can listen back to the show on the 3CR website and wherever you find your podcasts. Music in our outro is Blue Nude by Bart Willoughby and Ross Hannaford from the Buckskin album. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.